Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. And this week we are starting a brand new quarter. We are looking at the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Why does he write the letter? What are some of the major themes? What's the significance of the book of Ephesians? We're going to be looking at all of that and more over the course of the next 14 weeks. But before we dive into this week's lesson in a brand new quarter, let's begin with prayer. Father, we want to thank you for being with us, for promising to guide us through our study of the book of Ephesians. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our understanding to the message that you gave to Paul to give to the church in Ephesus and through that church to us as well. We ask that you'll bless our time together, bless our understanding, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the author of this quarter's study is Dr. John McVeigh. He is the president of Walla Walla University. He's also the former dean of the seminary at Andrews University. He holds a doctorate in New Testament studies, and we're delighted to have Dr. John McVeigh with us this quarter. John, welcome. We're glad that you're here. I'm delighted to be here, Eric. Now, this is a really exciting book, the book of Ephesians. It's it's right right in the heart of the New Testament. Of course, Paul is the author of the book. Give us a little bit of a little bit of background into how this quarter's lesson came to be. Why are we studying the book of Ephesians? A little bit of an overview and maybe a little backstory in, in how this study guide came into being. How long had you been working on it? Things along those lines. Sure. Well, in a way, this study guide goes back to about uh, about 1987 when I was sitting in an office with my major professor trying to decide what I was going to write my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation about. And at the time, he was writing a commentary on Ephesians. And I was particularly interested in the theology of the church. And the two came together in that moment. And my, my destiny with Ephesians was set. Fantastic. So back in the 1980s. Yes, back in the 1980s. So this is, this is some, some people who are watching this may not even have been born that's, in the 1980s. Of course, so. correct. Someone, uh, someone who's known me for a long time was saying, hey, I, I think you started working on this back in the, in the mid to late 80s. And I said, well, yes, but the most important date isn't when I started working on Ephesians. The most important date is when Ephesians started working on me. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so why Ephesians? What is the significance of it? What are some things? We're going to take a 14-week journey sure. together through the book of Ephesians. What are some things that we're going to be learning along the way? Why, why do we want to make this journey? There's, there's some good reasons. What are they? There's a lot of good reasons. Someone has written that pound for pound, Ephesians may be the most influential document in human history. So that kind of wakes us up a little bit, doesn't it? If you ever read through those statements of faith on Christian denominations and, and groups, you know, at the end of a statement, they often give biblical references, and it's an interesting project to see how often Ephesians is cited there. It really is important as a foundation of Christian doctrine. Uh, Paul here in this letter, not so different from Romans, steps aside, it seems, from some of the local uh, uh, interest stuff like you see in First and Second Corinthians and First and Second Thessalonians, and he's really, he's really talking about Christian faith very broadly in a way that echoes down through the ages, and it's easy for us to identify with it and, and draw it into our own lives right now. So a lot that we can apply. It's not, not just theological 
uselessness as someone might say some things are, which I don't think anything really is. But but these are very practical, very uh, applicable things that we can can use in our lives right now. Paul has a lot of grand, uh, high-flying language here in the epistle to the Ephesians. And as in most of his letters, the first half focuses on that, that, that doctrinal. It sings with, with Christ and, and God and what God has done in Christ through the church to redeem humankind. And so there's, there's lots of that. But then in the second half, there's a, there's a turn in focus, and he turns toward, so, so what? what? What does this mean? So he gets down to the nitty-gritty of it and begins to apply that to the lives of Christian disciples so both are there, the, the high-ringing, high-sounding theological statements, but also the nitty-gritty of how this walks and talks in terms of Christian discipleship. Very good. So lesson number one, Paul and the Ephesians. Why, why Ephesus? What's the significance of the city of Ephesus? Ephesus, of course, the letter to the Ephesians is the people who are in Ephesus. Why Ephesus? What's the significance of that city? Well, it's a very good question. And and Paul nowhere gives us a direct answer to that. But we can infer, I think, a, a fairly accurate answer from his mission strategy that we see, particularly in the book of Acts, don't we? He doesn't tend to go to tiny little out-of-the-way places. He is, he's wanting to capture the world for Jesus. And so he tends to operate on what one of my friends has called the hub principle. And... Uh, Ephesus, then, is one of these hubs. He's clearly dedicated to it. He stops there at the end of the second missionary journey, promises to return. At the start of the third missionary journey, he begins his way moving across 1,800 miles to get to Ephesus. He clearly wants to get to this place. It's the capital of arguably the richest province uh, in the Roman Empire, the province of Asia. It's, It's a transportation hub it's an important center. He wants to found and establish Christian faith there so that it spreads far and wide. I'm, again, intuiting from mission strategy and his approach here. This place is important to him. He wants to found Christianity firmly here so that it can spread. So not an insignificant city. In fact, what, third, fourth largest in the Roman Empire, somewhere it's in that a, neighborhood? You know, it's a little hard, of course, to judge cities of, of ancient times and their size, but uh, Ephesus was probably 200 to 250,000, not just in the city itself, but in the, in the surrounding area. Uh, that's a lot of people in its time. Now, in our day, 200, 250,000 is not a large city. But in that t- time, it, it came in just behind Rome itself, Alexandria, maybe Corinth, third or fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. So it's a big, strategic, rich, sophisticated place. And Paul dares to step into its streets and lay claim to the place for Jesus. And it's not an easy task. I mean, we, you, you make reference to a few stories in the book of Acts that, uh, that give us an idea, a little bit of the backstory of what's happening in the book of Ephesians, some experiences, as it were, that, uh, that he references. Give us a little bit more on that backstory. Well, the backstory for Ephesians is really in Acts chapters 18 and 19, and there are some some great stories here, just as, as stories. So, so you have seven itinerant Jewish exorcists. Uh, Judaism had quite a reputation in the time. And, of course, Ephesus is a place where 
magic and and the worship of scores of deities uh, w- proved important. And uh, these exorcists have obviously made a, a good business out of practicing exorcism, uh, using a kind of abracadabra approach, naming sort of every deity from A to Z. They hear about Jesus. They hear about Paul. And so they mingle their names amidst their abracadabra, and they try to practice this newly form- formulated mumbo-jumbo on, on, a, on a demon-possessed person. It, it doesn't go very well. It does not go well. It does not go well at all. The, the man rises up, overpowers them, and they flee kind of half-naked into the streets of, of Ephesus. Now, that's a crazy story. But the wonderful thing about it is it, it works out grandly for the reputation of, of Jesus, Paul, and the gospel. And as a result, Scripture says, you know, the whole, the whole region gets to know about Jesus, begins to think about him. And that's not the only story. There's another story in the book of Acts, also about a, a, a silversmith. Give us a little yes, story there, of there's, Demetrius there's, here. There's, there's, a, there's a riot. I mean, this is, this is fascinating. And, and what these stories together tell us is that, that Paul's missionary work in the city makes a dramatic difference and shakes the very political and economic foundations of the third or fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. That's, that's really quite, quite fascinating. But yeah, he, he, Paul is, uh, according to the story uh, and according to Demetrius, the silversmith himself, kind of turning the world upside down with this idea that these gods are not gods. So Paul is, Paul is preaching about, about Christ. Paul is preaching about God. Paul is preaching about the Creator God, and in in service of that, he's going after idolatry. He's saying these are not really gods, and uh, that that actually maybe didn't bother Demetrius that much until it started hitting his pocketbook. And when those trinkets that went along with the cult of Artemis, the greatest goddess worshipped in Ephesus, and you know those little silver shrines and all the rest of it, when sales plummeted. That's when he got excited. And it caused no small uproar. He convenes a meeting. He lays out the problem. And folks get excited. And they, they scream and holler the, 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 the name for Artemis, Artemis of the Ephesians, Artemis of the Ephesians, for a couple of hours, right? And uh, this, it's, a, it's a major ruckus. It becomes a riot. Uh, Paul is not immediately around, but they're looking for scapegoats for all of this. And the, the town clerk steps in and says, hey, you know, we've got a problem here, and calms the crowd, the crowd down. But this is, a, this is a, a story that tells us that Paul had done real gospel work. He'd been there three years, and he'd been preaching and speaking for two of those years in a, in a classroom setting. Sounds kind of boring, right? evangelistic meeting that he's holding in the in the in a specific hall that we're told about there in Ephesus but it's effective it makes a difference so Paul is making inroads most most clearly so the book of Ephesians that's what we are taking a look at this quarter you will want to pick up the companion book to this quarter's study guide it is entitled Ephesians by of course John McVeigh now, John, give us a little insight into why the companion book is important. What would, 
What would someone get from this companion book that isn't in the study guide itself? What's, what's the meat in here? Well, in the companion book, I, I try to take the, uh, the, the, the book of Ephesians, deal with it section by section, and uh, have a chance to tell a few stories to share some of the some of the scholarship around the letter, but do that in a candy-coated fashion that makes it really accessible. And uh, we, we have a chance to really explore why this is such a dynamic, powerful, and important letter. And I especially have the chance to spend time on what difference does it make in our lives today. So uh, I, I like to think of it as a kind of narrative story commentary on the epistle to the Ephesians. I hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed writing it. So you want to pick up the companion book to this quarter's study guide. It is called Ephesians, and you can find it at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's at itiswritten.shop. Just look for the companion book to this quarter's study guide. It is called Ephesians. And we are going to continue looking at week number one, Paul and the Ephesians, as we dive into this brand new quarter on the book of Ephesians, and we look forward to seeing you again in just a moment as we come back and continue our study. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is. It is written. Dot study. Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides, 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. Itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are continuing our study of the book of Ephesians. And John, let me, let me jump back in by asking this question. What is, what's the purpose of Ephesians? Why do we have the book? What's it, what's it there for? Uh, well, Eric, usually when we write something, at least something important and, and intentional, there's some reason why we've taken the time to write it. And it's an interesting question to say, okay, so assuming that to be the case, why does, why does Paul spill so much ink and passion in this letter? Why does he go to the trouble, particularly in ancient context, where writing a letter was not nearly as simple as typing out an email is today? So why? You know, I think probably the best, uh, the, the best indication we have of that comes in chapter 3, uh, near the center of the letter, where Paul is going to offer a prayer report and talk about why he's praying for them, and there's a there's a little a little line here that I think is is helpful for us, verse thirteen. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, and I think that may get us pretty close to the in, intention of the letter. So Paul ministers in Ephesus. He wins converts to Christ. 
Uh, that was six, six or seven years ago. But six or seven years have intervened. Christianity has taken a little bit of a dive in terms of its reputation. It was kind of cachet. It was the thing back in Paul's day. It was winning friends and influencing people. But, but now it's, it's, it's gotten a bit lost amongst all the faiths. To be a Christian no longer holds the, uh, you know, the honor and the aura that it once did when Paul was around. And Paul, the great, the great champion of Christian faith, is himself in prison. And, and, and Paul's worried that they're, 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 losing, they're losing a sense of the significance of what it means to be a Christian, and they're discouraged by his presence and mission. So he's writing a letter to steal their nerves and to raise their horizon of what it means to be part of God's great actions in the world, what it means to be part of the church. So it's going to be a letter of encouragement, among other things, of, of, of propping them up and, and giving them hope, as it were. He's going to sketch out the big stuff God is involved in the world and, and wants them to see their lives as, as part of God's grand plan. So let's spend a few minutes and, and look at the theological message of Ephesians. What's, sure. what's some of the, the theological meat that we find in there? You know, I always like it when I'm reading a book or something, when, when the author takes time to say, this is what this book is about. And, and really, Paul does that here. Uh, uh, Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. And by the way, Eric, uh, <laughs> Ephesians is known for something that someone has labeled tapeworm sentences. They just kind of go on and on and on and on. So a lot of times when we read passages in Ephesians, we kind of have to break into one of those tapeworm sentences. And and that's the case here in in verses 9 and 10. Uh, Paul writes, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So Paul's setting us up here to hear What's the big plan? What's, what's God's purpose? What's he about in the cosmos? As a plan for the fullness of time. So he sets forth a plan in Christ. It's a plan for the fullness of time. And here's the punchline. Here's what he's about. To unite all things in him. To unite everything in Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth. So God's grand purpose in the world is to wrap up everything, unite everything in Jesus. That's the great theme of the letter, you see. There's not a much bigger theme out there to try to tackle that I can think of. I mean, that's, that's an enormous theme. It's cosmic scale. It's, it's, it's huge. This is not some tiny version of, of unity. This is unity writ large. This is big stuff. And he's taking their lives of these disciples threatening who've, who are becoming discouraged, worried about, is this really for me? Perhaps being drawn back into the worship or one or more, of one or more of those deities of, of which there were so many on offer in, in Ephesus. And he's saying to them, you want to be part of the grandest thing in the universe. You need to be a Christian. You need to be a member of God's church. And this book is not a... It's not a huge book. I mean, it's not a, it's not a Psalms or something no. like that. It's a relatively small book, all things considered. And yet, Paul packs into it this grand theme and, and desires that we should understand it. 
Yes, the letter was was designed, as we learn uh, at the end, it was designed apparently to be read in those house churches in in Ephesians in Ephesus. We should probably think of the movement as having grown, and now there are a, a number of house churches scattered throughout the greater Ephesus area. And this letter is to be designed is designed to be read in those house churches from start to finish. It's a kind of sermon, if you will, uh, and we we uh, assume that Tychicus who is mentioned at the end, chapter 6, verse 21, is probably the one who carries the letter and reads it to these congregations. So, no, it's not very long because it's meant to be read in, in a single setting. Uh, yeah, and, and, and he's unpacking this grand theme of what God is doing, uniting everything in Christ. So, you've touched on this grand theme. In fact, you, you've unpacked it nicely, but Let's dig a little more into, into Christ. How does he figure into this? What's his role? I, I think we've got a general sure. idea, but, but let's, let's pull that apart a little more. Well, Christ is the focus of God's plan, as we learn in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul's thesis statement for the letter. Uh, it's, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? Uh, but then as we move through, this is truly a Christ-saturated letter. Uh, more than 30 times, Paul uses... W- Phrases like, in Christ, by Christ, in him, in the beloved. Uh, and so he is he's training us to understand that Christian faith and discipleship is all wrapped up in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we, we see that in, in every segment, in every section of, of the epistle to the Ephesians. Christ is present. Christ is the, at the heart of what God is doing in the world. So we're going to see Christ as we journey through the book of Ephesians. But as you've mentioned before, it's, it's not just Christ. We also see that Christ has his church here that, is, that occupies a, a significant part of Paul's heart and his desires to see the church thrive. How do we see the significance of the church in the book of Ephesians? Well, Paul spends a great deal of time on the theme of the church here. The church is important. Uh, to Paul in Ephesians in a way that's probably not true of any other document. It's, it's Christ-saturated and it's church-oriented. So, again, Paul's interested in resurrecting the faith and the engagement and investment of these Christian believers in Ephesus. And so he wants to highlight the significance of the church, this enterprise in which they're engaged and involved. So he has four large metaphors or images that he uses in Ephesians to talk about the church. So back in chapter 1, chapter 4, he uses that metaphor that he has used in his earlier letters, the church as the body of Christ. So that's an an important one. Uh, Chapter 2, particularly the end of chapter 2, the church as building slash temple, the temple of the living God, a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And the third one would be a bride, the church's bride, the bride of Christ, the bride-slash-wife of Christ. Uh, chapter 5, particularly the verses 25 through 27. What does that mean, that beautiful, intimate portrait? And finally, we come to the end of the letter, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, that famous armament passage, put on the full armor of God. And here the church is displayed as the militia of Christ, the army of God. So he uses these really well-developed images. He's, he, he develops these and, and identifies elements of them. He uses these to 
talk about how important it is to be part of the church, to be a Christian. He's trying to resurrect their faith, re-engage, reignite their, their Christian faith. So the significance of Christ, the significance of the church and the various metaphors that Paul uses to, to help us understand the purpose and the significance of the church. You know, there are some Christians today who, who kind of want to live a, a, an autonomous relationship with Christ, but apart from a church or an organization. Paul doesn't seem to echo that theme very much here, does he? No, he's, he's, he's not real big on individualistic Christianity here. He's, he's big on being part of the body of Christ, part of the temple, uh, being part of the bride, being part of the army, <laughs> and that's important to him. If somebody were watching this program right now who's, whose faith has become kind of mundane, they're, they're going through the motions. They've been a, a Christian for a while, but it's not, it doesn't involve every element of their being, every aspect of their life. It's just kind of routine, become routine. What would you tell that person as we're beginning this journey through the book of Ephesians to give them encouragement and hope that there's, that there's something more to a walk with Christ than perhaps what they've been experiencing for a little while. Well, Eric, I'd probably uh, I'd probably use the language of of Ephesians itself and say, God is about something grand in the cosmos. God is about heading up everything in Jesus. If you want to be part of the grandest plan in the universe, you need to be part of God's plan for the cosmos. You need to be tight with Jesus. You need to know who Jesus is. You need to be in Christ. Christ needs to be dwelling in you, as the letter talks about. You need to be one with with Jesus. And you're going to do that. That's going to work best for you. If you are part of the grand project that God is working on through Christ and the Spirit in the world, and that is the church, and the church is the center and the focus of God's plan. It's an illustration of what he wishes to do in the cosmos as a whole. You want to be a part of this. If you wish to live a life of significance, you want to be a part of what God is doing through Christ in his church as we look toward the end of all things when everything will become united in Jesus. John, thank you very much for that, for giving us some encouragement, some hope, and an idea of where we are going. So today begins a 14-week journey, a 14-week odyssey, a a huge uh, journey from from one end of the book of Ephesians to the other. Uh, And really, ultimately, in in 14 weeks, uh, we're going to get the high points, but there is so much more. Why is Jesus so important? What did Paul understand about him? And what does he also understand about your needs, about my needs? Well, over the course of the next 14 weeks, we are going to be delving into that, and we invite you to be a part of that journey as well. We're looking at the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, and we look forward to having you join us on this journey as well. God bless you. Have a wonderful day, and we look forward to seeing you again next week on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.